Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, friends. Welcome to Unsiloed, the show that busts the echo chambers. If you dig hearing opposing perspectives about big issues from a point of mutual respect, if you like debate but love light, not heat, welcome home. This is before we get started with uh, our topic on quiet quitting, which we've been hearing a lot about. We're going to need to define it. We're going to need to cover a couple terms. Before that, I think you mentioned you wanted to actually cover something that we hadn't covered before on the show that you thought was just an interesting little insight. Remember what that was? Are we talking about the DeSantis moving, uh, transporting? I thought I thought it was about the Queen. Oh, the Queen. Yes. Sorry. It's just too many of them. See? I mean, that's that's weeks ago now, but yeah, you got a lot of insights that's to share. That's weeks ago now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the, well, the whole thing about the monarchy was, it was really interesting. I was sharing with you that um, um, I was really surprised, maybe naive to some extent, the type of reaction that I that I even heard from, from folks on my team when the news broke that the queen had passed away. And this is not to take away the fact that, you know, that she died and, and, and that it's it's news, of course. Um, and I feel for her family, you know, so she's someone that, you know, lived a long life, but at the same time as, you know, their grandmother or great grandmother at this point passing away. So I, I get that. But it was surprising to me when I, one of the, one of the persons from my, my team literally said the comment, like, oh, this is kind of like when Michael right. Jackson died. And to me, it was like, oh, really? Like, I put those in such different categories, right? Like Michael Jackson passing away versus, versus the queen. And and maybe this kind of, and then you've sort of seen since then, there's been a lot of, I think, really mixed feelings. You have folks that are on one end very, um, you know, to some extent impacted by the fact that the queen did pass and, and, you know, see it as a really big moment. You have others who either refuse to acknowledge or don't, or, or specifically are just like almost have a very counter stance against the the queen and not so much about the queen for her personally, but more for what she stands for, which is the monarchy mm-hmm. and what the monarchy stood for for such a long time in terms of whether she directly did some of these things or not, someone that her and her entire family has benefited from all the colonization that, you know, that England did across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and still having that kind of, I don't know call it resentment or what you would call it, but you know, there was that kind of kind of uh, reaction to it, and I'm probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um. But the, but the thing to me that was really it was just it was just interesting. And we were talking to you about it. It's like, yeah, I just for someone the person that mentioned this is maybe 22 years old. 
right? And like, and for them to think of this, the queen as in the same kind of category as Michael Jackson, I, I thought was so interesting for that kind of comment on something that I, I didn't even think would even hit their, their radar, you know? I was more surprised, I guess. I can totally see the 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 message or the thought that this is like when Michael Jackson went, even if you don't know anything about what Michael Jackson or the Queen did in their life, simply because it's a career that runs the span of a person's entire life where someone was very visible and very well um, known. So I can see it just on that level being 80% of where that comment comes from. The queen, yeah. the queen reigned for 72 years, I believe it was. It was the longest of certainly any English monarch, and I think the second longest reigning monarch ever in the history of monarchy, So, and, and that by just a couple of years. So it, it, it's significant in the sense that it's somebody who goes wall to wall with your entire experience of being alive. Particularly yeah. if you're British, which even, you know, adds to it, or you have any, you know, love for British culture, or you're an Anglophile, which of course I am, then it's even more, more the case. Now, your point is interesting, and I'd offer up just, just two quick things, because this isn't our topic of the day, but just my thoughts. This is one of those big things that kind of defines people's philosophy, um, and it, you and I have talked in the past that there are people who address things as they are, what they are, the kind of, you know, sort of ontological end of the spectrum. Like this thing is an, it is something, it's an orange, it's an orange. It doesn't matter what it looks like or smells like. If it's an orange, it's an orange. Then there's other people like, yeah, but it looks like an apple. So I'm going to like start behaving by what it appears to be. And their whole philosophies are kind of grounded like that. I think the mm -hmm. monarchy is something very similar, which is if you're not a fan of hierarchies, if you believe they don't exist, if you wish they didn't, if you if you just have like some kind of philosophical thing against hierarchies, you're going to look unfavorably at monarchies to begin with. And if you look at them as hierarchies as existing, being necessary, in fact, et cetera, you're going to look at monarchies in a bit of a different way. And the last thing that I would say is, you know, the whole idea of colonization, which is definitely true. I mean, the British Empire, just like the Roman Empire before it span throughout the globe and it, you know, brought a lot of things and took a lot of things from the different places that, you know, that it, that it inhabited. But I'm always like, uh, you know, it, I always hear this colonization, uh, you know, conversation always from the negative, meaning look at all the, you know, destruction, warfare, et cetera. And in some cases that's true. In other cases, it's actually not, but it's never kind of de-average, right? And, and nowhere in that conversation is like, oh, well, gee, we brought, the educational system, modern medicine, uh, you know, all of these things that came from some of these countries, some of them in Europe, some of them specifically from from Britain, those are sort of put to the side, but it's like, here's what we did. Well, but, but I think in that, in that Charlie, the, the reason I think you get that is because all the things you just mentioned, education, so many mm -hmm. systems were byproducts of the colonization, not the reason to colonize. The reason to colonize was to take resources. So if you think of it in a perspective, the reason why people came to the Americas and once they discovered there was so much wealth here in terms of minerals, gold, et cetera, wasn't to put in a great education you know, system, not, wasn't to, I guess you could say to instill religion, although power and religion were so connected at the, at the hip at the time, but it was to like take resources. Like that was the goal. There was some byproducts of taking resources to your point that were brought to of value to those spaces, but that wasn't the intent. Yeah. I don't know. I think it varies. I think if you go back and look at some of the famous explorers, you look at Vasco da Gama, you look at all these different guys, there was a sense of adventure and a sense of discovery that was also very much 
imbued. Now, once they got to where they're going and realize that there were resources and there's always the kind of gold fever and all that stuff, then of course, you know, that became a driving force. So I think it's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Now, even that whole idea, though, of expansion, of looking mm-hmm. for additional resources, that's a very natural thing in, in a lot of different systems. Look at corporations. Look at businesses. Yeah, sure. Like, do you know one business that doesn't want to expand into new markets? Like, it's a natural thing. If you've got something here and you're like, okay, well, we're go- more population, more needs, more resources – well, what's around us? Let's go and explore and see what we can find. Even if you were stranded in the woods, one of the very first things you would do is set up camp and go on a hike, look for food, look for resources. Yeah. I, I just put it more in the camp of like corporate rating. Yes, you are expanding resources. And you can say, I brought a new system. But you're, the intent is a very one of, of, uh, of, of taking, yeah, taking resources from whatever you're trying to take, take over. But but by the way, one thing I, I would just mm-hmm. go back to what you were saying about the whole hierarchy. I, I don't see it as a hierarchy or not scenario. Is and the reason I'm bringing this up because actually it was so funny. I was having breakfast with my daughter this weekend, and we started. We hadn't talked about this for whatever reason, and I, I was very curious what her you know as a ten year old how does she think about it. So I was I was asking her a question like so because oh because this all started because she asked me um, what, what has been happening, uh, recently? I'm like, what do you mean? Like, yeah, like what's happening? Cause like, I don't know, like what's happening in the world. Kind of like, out in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Like has anyone important died? And I'm like, oh, well we didn't talk about this now, you know, a few weeks ago or whatever it was, but it was the queen. She's like, oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I did hear about it. We talked about it in our, in our school. I'm like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. that's cool. And I asked her, so how do you feel about that? Like, what, what do you think? What do you think of that? And, um, and, you know, and, and her response was like, she's like, yeah, I don't like it. I'm like, what is it that you don't like about it? Like, I don't like that someone gets to basically get to say, get to do, get to tell everyone else what to do only because they were, they were born in the same family. Mm. And it has nothing to do with how smart they are. It has nothing to do with them working hard. It just has to do that they were just born. They were just, they just are. And, and I looked at her and I'm like, yeah, you really are my daughter. Like that, that she, in that 10 year old explanation nailed sure. what I have an issue with the monarchy. Cause it's, it's not, a, I, I sort of take a, it's not a meritocracy. Well, you're very American. I, I take it right, right. So I, I, it's nothing to do my view of this, nothing to do with, frankly, with her, right. With Queen Elizabeth passing and, and what she did or didn't do it has nothing to do with her. The whole concept of monarchy, I just think is such an outdated way of thinking an outdated way of government. And of transferring power, that is like, to me, the worst version of how we can be awarding power to people to be able to help govern any kind of state. Because if you're lucky, you get like a really good king or queen, and sure. that's awesome. But the reality is in more likelihood, when you have the really good king or queens, they're going to have kids. And, and the, the odds are that they're probably not going to be the sharpest tool in the ship. I'm going to stress test your theory. Then let's say you build a successful business um, and you've built, you're building a number and you've built a number. So by that same reasoning, you would never hand that business to your daughter, correct? I was selfishly speaking, absolutely I will hand it to my daughter. Absolutely. But she may not be the best qualified. She's just related to you. Absolutely. She may not be the most qualified. Of course not, Charlie, but it's a selfish thing. It's like I wouldn't give resources to my, to my kids. Of course I would. I would do anything in my power to give resources to my kids. But that's the reason why most corporations, you have a board that doesn't give 100% full control to the owner of that, of that, corporation, of that corporation for that specific reason. Because you need that kind of that 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 you need that kind of balance, right? This is why certain companies, Facebook is probably one of the best examples, are problematic when you have such concentrated support, concentrated power under one person. Would I do it? Of course, I would do it. I, like I wouldn't even blink an eye, Charlie. That doesn't mean that's the best way to do it. 
And I concede that, but I think it's it's a bit of a different thing to look at a corporation and a board and a CEO. What I'm talking about is a family business. There are generations of you should you should definitely do it. I think you should definitely do it. Do do does that make it the best type of of business? Of course not. Why couldn't the same apply to the form of government? It does. It's not the best, but you can totally see why it happens. Because the impact is a whole nation, right? And in this case, multiple nations. Now we're not talking about someone's restaurant. Or someone's whatever may be the case. Even if it's a massive business, you're not impacting the livelihood of every single person that lives in that, not only in that nation, but every other nation that they influence. So you don't have a philosophical problem. You have a problem in application is what your, your problem is the the extent to which a philosophy does something, not the philosophy itself. It sounds like you're OK with monarchy. You just don't like that the monarchy has that kind of impact. I think the monarchy, well, because in, in maybe the, which is the way I'm defining the monarchy specific as I'm referring to as a form of government, right? As a form of rule over a nation, I just think is, is a really, really bad idea. Mm-hmm. And, well, and which is, and, and you're right, as a race, do I think in a business it's good to just hand the, the business to your kids? Oh, no, it, I know it's not. I'm simply saying, very selfishly speaking, we all as parents are looking to create better lives for our kids. So would I bat an eye? Maybe unless, you know, my child was just so bad at it. I'm like, oh man, as much as I want to do that, it's probably just not the right person to do this. But in most cases, the parent, then you're probably gonna gonna err on the side of wanting to have your kids to you know, sort of take over yeah. whatever you're doing. I get that, but it doesn't make it the best way to, to run a run a company. This is why these conversations, I think, are important to tease or tease apart what's actually at play, right? Because the idea of handing something of authority off to somebody who you're related to may or may not be the most effective way to do it, yet there are countless examples of where that happens in other aspects of life. It's a very human thing. It's a very human thing. And there are plenty of success stories of how that happens, right? Think of the Waltons. Think of of professional sports leagues and professional sport owners, right? Where you have, Mm -hmm. you know, dynasties over periods of decades that it's like, oh, well, somebody handed it to their kid and now they're the general manager or whatever it may be. But the, the, the question of what's the implication of that authority is a separate sort of topic. One other point. That's almost like success in spite of that model rather than because of that model, Charlie. Yeah, but see, but I don't think that the alternative is like necessarily any better or that there's less examples of success there. You could say, I'm going to pick the best qualified CEO or the best person to take over my company that has nothing to do with me and isn't related to me. And there's failures everywhere to look at. So I don't know that you can say that's a much better way to do it. I think it's a significantly better way to do it because you're, because the judgment is- give 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 me a sense of why. Based on the what? judgment is based on ability and performance, not on bloodline. That's the difference, sorry. That's what we're talking about, right? So one has, and I totally understand the difference. I'm just saying, cite some evidence that you that that that's better. What's your evidence that that's better? My evidence is like saying, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my son to play quarterback. Well, why? Because he's my son. Okay, that's one way to do it. Or I could be able to see who actually can play quarterback and then put him and put him in as quarterback. Now, could you have depending on who you're talking to? Tom Brady's kid, probably going to be a pretty, pretty good quarterback. I don't know nothing about Tom Brady's kid, but I'm going to just throw a wild guess. It's probably going to play, play the game. Archie Manning, his obviously kids all could play. Those are great examples of like picking your kids to, to and if he was the coach and he was the owner and he picks, yeah, that's, that's probably right. But in general, that is just not a good way to think about things because you're not judging people based on performance and ability is based on bloodline. And I that's my it. argument. Could you find examples? Of course you can. Yes, there's plenty of examples. There's also, for example, the other way around where people have handed these dynasties to their kids and they've ruined it. Right? Yeah. Look, at, look at where the Lakers are right now. 
right? For sure. Jerry Buss, what he did with that organization, turn it around. It's, I mean, the poor guy must be, people say, turning on his grave. Like, it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a shadow of what it was. Yeah. No, I, I definitely understand that. Um, and I think that as a rule, the qualification being I'm related to somebody does not equip them for a particular role, right? Yeah, that's basically all, all the argument I'm making. Yeah, when, yeah, yeah, when it yeah. stops at that, that's, I think that's a problem. Yeah. And the problem with the monarchy is all has to do with what you're, where you are, if I understand it correctly, in the bloodline, when you were born, kind of the sequence. It has nothing to do with saying, this is my kid and it should be able to govern. No, it's like, no, this is just the order where this, this kid was born within my bloodline. Right. The other thing that I want to uh, you know, point out is that the idea that someone who performs better should have the authority is itself a philosophy that not everybody agrees with. There's a ton of people who would, who would hear what you just said about the best qualified, the one who's going to perform the most, the one who's going to make the most money, drive the stock higher. That's the one we should pick. That would say that's precisely why we don't have enough diversity in the boardrooms. They would say, you know, these are people that we can't, we, we don't have experience with them. We don't know what they're going to do to the stock price. So let's just pick on the sure bet because we know who, what they've done. There, that is itself a, philo- uh, that's an ideology, what you just shared. I'm not saying I disagree with it. I'm not saying I disagree with it. If you want to talk about lack of diversity, then keep on handing things over to the people that already have power. Right. That but are you're just com- related to them. That's good luck changing that diversity. I, I got that. But that's a, that's a false comparison. It, it, you're comparing it's even a worse a, problem. I know, but you're only comparing two modes of, of management. All I'm saying is that the philosophy that only people who perform better are the ones who should have authority is something that a lot of people would violently reject in our world today. What you just sure. said. And yeah, it, it's, it is a philosophy, right? That's not like this is reality and everything else is unreality. What you just said is an ideology, is a philosophy. I happen to agree with it, but I'm just letting yeah, you know yeah, no, that there's I, a lot of people who don't. Yeah, I, I agree with you um, for sure. I, I just think this is going back to where we started, why in this case where I understand the emotional attach, uh, attachment, attachment to yeah. the, the queen and I feel like it's a big deal because someone that, to your point, for a lot of people, most of us, we've been alive, alive. the entire time she's been in power. And I, and I feel for that, but I just have no pity at all to sustaining, continuing a monarchy that just feels like such an outdated way of trying to govern. I mean, the reality, they don't really govern. I mean, that's it's also yeah, it's being a, It's mostly ceremonial. It. It's mostly yeah, it's ceremonial. ceremonial. So even the whole thing to me is like, okay, what are we really talking about here? But there was but, a time when it wasn't. Absolutely. So it, it to me is less about the, and I know a lot of people are very, uh, you know, and I understand the position about the, the colonization and how much they benefited from it. And that's all true. And it, I think it's a problem. The problem is it's not just that, because you're right. I mean, a lot of governments kind of benefited from colonization. The issue is that it's so in your face when you see that this is still part of what they have, what their legacy is, is that. There is no detachment from it. You can't say, well, somebody else did that. And, and we've changed so much from that time. When you're talking about a a monarchy that is all based on bloodline is still the same relative, the same, same people for sure that are, that are directly been embedded from it. So I think it's, it's, I understand where people are coming from with having that kind of position against it. But to me, it's more of a philosophical one as it relates to uh, forms of government that even if you can have, you know, the best king ever, I still think it's the wrong type of government. For sure. I would rather take a flawed democracy, a very flawed democracy with, with even, you know, elected officials that I completely disagree with, I still think is a better long-term 
uh, type of system than a monarchy. Another thing that I don't hear, and we're going to tie this meritocracy piece. This is how we're going to get to quiet quitting, and we're going to have to bridge yeah, our time know. on we, that we subject. We went deep now. No, yeah. no, but let me just make one final point, uh-huh. because the other thing that we don't hear about is the idea of monarchy is understood in a very European context, because of that word monarch is something that is given to us, and it has a patrimony and everything else. But the idea of having rulers, kings, pharaohs, All of this has existed in every culture, in Africa, massive kingdoms, right? Yep. Even down to, you know, when I went to West Africa, even the revered position of the village elder who has his own seat, his own stool that he sits on and people sit around him, that is an, an image of kingship, right? The, the, in Egypt, the great pharaohs, in Asia, right? The, the, the leaders, the, um, the shoguns in Japan, like, this idea of having a monarch, we don't use that term, but it's existed for thousands yeah. of years in every culture. So when we talk about monarchy, we have to also talk about the monarchies in Africa, the monarchies in Asia, the monarchies in, 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 you know, Eastern, in Eastern Europe, the monarchies in you know, the, the, the island nations. They exist everywhere or have existed everywhere, right? And so if it's true for one, it ought to be true for the other. And those are mostly bloodline-based. Almost yeah, always. I think in, in all, right. So I think there's two arguments here. One is the, which I would, I would agree, if I'm, if I'm going to expand my position of types of forms of government that I'm against is unilateral power. I'm against that 100%, mm-hmm. right? And that covers any kind of king. doesn't matter whether it's bloodline or not. Anyone that could, on their own, can make all decisions related to how to govern people. I think it's a mistake. It's a dictatorship, basically. Yeah, this is one of the beauties of, of our, as much as we want to, you know, I mean, I'll be the first to say all the things that I think may be wrong or whatever about our form of government, but the balance of power is a really, really important one. Sure. It may be frustrating when you're when you're on the wrong side of that balance, but it still is a really important one. I think there's that, and to right, applies to a much broader line. And I think anything that is bloodline related, I think, is, a, is, is just a, a really poor way to transfer power uh, and to really, like, look out for the best uh, um, you know, for the, for the best outcomes for, for a group of people. All right. So then let's wrap this back around. So you, our shared philosophy in this case orients itself more towards the idea of meritocracy. People who show an interest, a desire, an ability, and are, are successful should be the ones that get oversight over certain things, especially in the corporate world. So l- let's let's use that thread of meritocracy to tee up the subject that we were going to talk about. And that is this idea of quiet quitting. Now, you know, first of all, you know, let's define some terms. I started hearing about this probably three months ago in a real serious way where I was seeing it constantly, quiet quitting, articles, people's opinions on it. I saw it on social, their videos on TikTok, all about quiet quitting. And there's some murkiness on the definition, but basically it means that people, given the fact that there a lot of folks are remote and probably will continue in some hybrid or remote capacity for a while longer, are, are doing the very base minimum to survive their employment. That's essentially what they're doing. It's like if I, if I could do four things, but I'm only required to do one, I do one, and then I go and I do something else. That is broadly the phenomenon of quiet quitting. Now, there's, a, there's an article that came out uh, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and it came out from Gallup, which is a very reputable, you know, survey company that cited the number, the percentage of the workforce of quiet quitters was half. 
And this set off a thousand different alarm bells, right? Because people were saying, how's it possible? One out of two employees is quiet quitting. They're doing the bare minimum, blah, 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 blah. All of this at the same time that we're having trouble filling jobs, that people are suffering tremendous amount of burnout. So if they're barely working, what are they burning out from, right? Like all of these questions started to kind of pop up. But I thought it was interesting, number one, is to identify whether or not this is a real thing. And there are pieces like the Atlantic article. I know you couldn't look at it because of the paywall. But the Atlantic yeah. article basically makes the case that this is all fake. This is us giving a trendy new name to something that has always existed. And maybe it's even a good thing. Because the reality of it is, is if I can do four things, but I only need to do one, and I do one, that, mean, that might mean I've got better work-life balance. So maybe it's a good thing mm -hmm. that I'm doing this. But I thought all of this was very interesting in the context of meritocracy, in the context of economy, our inflation, all the different things that we're contending with as a subject to discuss. And yeah. I've got some perspectives on it, but that's just to kind of tee it up. And by the way, I've already got the episode title for this episode. It's Queens, it Kings, and Quiet Quitting. There you go. Oh, nice. I like that. I like that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's. Um, I think there's at least a couple of dynamics that were that are playing that are playing a factor here as it relates to this phenomenon, real or not. And I'm of the opinion that it's more real than not. Um, and they're byproducts of the last couple of years, at minimum, right? There's at least two main categories that I think we can talk about and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. One is the the notion, the 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 emphasis uh, on mental wellness and life balance and all these things that for a long time in society, we kind of ignored. And I think some of these were magnified during COVID, uh, especially people being locked down. And there was a renewed, I think, a renewed interest in being a lot more thoughtful uh, and a lot more awareness around being more concerned, being more proactive about taking care of your own mental wellness and what that may mean, right? And that may mean trying to reduce your stress levels. It may mean trying to not be all about, in this case, career driven, like that being the only goal in life. And I, I had a lot of conversations. Frankly, I may have my own kind of episode of this. I'm thinking like, yeah. is there more to life than simply trying to earn that next promotion, opportunity, whatever may be the case? Like, is there has to be more to life than just this? And when you're faced as a, as a, as a world where maybe what our reality we thought it was it could can end somewhat quickly and i'm being a little dramatic but remember when this thing all kind of started we just didn't know right we didn't know what it all kind of meant and i think that has had a very long lasting effect on people and i do think it kind of changes a little bit different course now could we come back maybe to be more to we work no over time people kind of forget and kind of go back to the regular but i think that's a dynamic that has continued to play mm -hmm. a role to me that's one of them and the other one which is very related to that first one which is the idea of because of that there was a lot more of this remote and hybrid work that has been going on. So the, the connectivity that people have with their job as a key part of their life that is very separate from their personal life. I think that's been a big change in how the workforce has now been for a lot of people. Um, was created a dynamic that now you're in a situation where it's very much convoluted between your work, your professional and your personal life. When people Intertwined. Are home. Yeah. Intertwined. Yeah. Come to the wrong word. Yeah, Intertwined is a, good, a better one. Um, and I think that creates opportunities. It creates problems. Uh, but I could see the case where people are feeling themselves like really tugged on both sides. It's much harder when you're sitting at home and you have your kid right next to you wanting to pull you away to go do other things because they're bored, they're hungry, they're all these different things that, which is life, 
it for is. you not to attend to that and prioritize what would be normally your work time if you were 100% going into an office. So I think oh. those dynamics are both some that are in my mind are playing a role. So I, I do think this is a much more real uh, and impactful thing that is happening. One of the other data sets that came up around this topic was the fact that while um, working hours as reported by you know people who measure this stuff, the amount of hours people are working has increased over the last two years. Productivity has actually dropped. And that yeah. set off a lot of alarm bells. What I wonder, though, if we zoom all the way out, is the idea of quiet quitting just a revelation that we've seen of what kind of stasis should be? In other words, th- this is the correct baseline that we're now defining as quiet quitting simply because we've been given an opportunity to, to kind of measure these things because of the circumstances that COVID has brought around. As an example, yeah. you and I both worked at places where, and you know, look, to some extent we still do, always on environments, right? Maybe our career began in more of a nine to five setup, but once the internet hit and once connectivity increased, it quickly became an always-on setting, right? I remember the, the, the drama and scandal of people, you know, at the initial, initially beginning to respond to emails on Saturday and Sunday. That was like, well, that's crazy. I don't ever do that. Then to people responding, if you didn't respond to emails or something on Saturday or so, I was like, how dare you? So, like, right. that's a huge whiplash an erosion in a very in short period of time. time. Yeah, There yeah, was. Sure. Right. And, and so what I wonder is, because we've been given a chance to measure this due to COVID and connectivity and all this other stuff, if now we're just discovering kind of what it always should be, because ask yourself, if there is one thing that you're supposed to do, but you could do four, why? Because you can advance faster, you can get promoted more, you can make more money, you can do whatever, you can politic. Isn't it better to just do the one thing? Because all those other things, to your point, lead you to things that ultimately are not satisfying. They're not the meaning of life. So, like, right. could this be actually a good thing, right? Like the Atlantic article kind of proposes. Well, I think it could you know, They don't do it this way, but, you know. Yeah. And you're dealing with different dynamics, right? One is, I think the motivators that people have, especially young people, are just different than when you and I first came into the workforce. I mean, I was telling the story over the weekend at dinner, and I was saying that I recall starting my career at Accenture as a consultant. And I remember the first couple of weeks, you know, you kind of go through some training, but the first time we guys got on an actual engagement, I remember being in the office for like a two or three week period, like every day till 10 o'clock. Yeah. Probably started, probably started at six or seven. Yeah. yeah. So you started super early. You were there at 10 o'clock every, every day, a couple of days till midnight. And I remember having a bunch of people kind of complaining how much work we're doing. And to me, it was like, this is the easiest job I've had. And the reason why I was saying that is because I had just finished engineering. And it was such a lot of, it was so much more work when I was doing engineering. Like we really worked up till midnight every single night, especially kind of like finishing up, right? That it felt easier in my mind, even though it was a lot of hours. But the mindset that I came in with was very much is like you work yourself. Like basically this is your number one priority. You're starting your career. There is no personal life as an as a extra. Also at that point, you're super young, so you can still literally go out even if you've been working, you know, 14 hours a day. It doesn't Yeah, but doesn't you're matter. also easily influenced. When somebody tells you, oh, this is just life, you're like, oh, well, I guess it is. That's the culture, right? The culture was like you, you, you basically pay your dues. The pay your dues mentality is something that I grew up with for sure. And is one that you see it in different degrees now, but I think the general um, sort of trend, I would say, is most people don't view the world that way anymore. And I do think that COVID has accelerated that transition. 
back into the space like no we should actually be a lot more thoughtful about what our life is because we can't just be so prioritized on 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 just um on just work that we put our own personal life our own mental health in the back in the back seat because of this yeah but don't you think it's more nuanced than even back then than just pay your dues the idea of pay your dues can be done working a respectable number of hours and still, you know, prioritizing your family or your faith or other things that matter more and still pay your dues. It wrapped up in pay your dues was do whatever I tell you. And what my point about that is that when you're in your early 20s and somebody says, yeah, this is just the way it is, 13 hour days and grind it out on Saturday and work till two in the morning, you see it as paying your dues. But in reality, there's a whole bunch of other crap packaged into that too, which isn't really real. It's not about paying your dues. It's about like, kind of doing, I just think people are very influential, very influenced and very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know how like you, you can just, um, like gullible kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of like gullible or they're very impressionable, right? When you're young and when you're coming into the workforce and when somebody older than you says like, Hey kid, this is just the way it is. Like you're much more likely to go, Oh, I just grind yourself into anxiety and depression and craziness, which is all the stuff that we're kind of seeing now. So the advice that I give to young people, particularly young people going into um, technology and, and especially media, is I, I, I tell them question everything. Question everything. The ground you're walking on is not firm ground. It's not like engineering. It's not like mathematics where you walk in and you're like, hey, this equation has always summed to this for all eternity. I'm going to continue to assume that. When somebody tells you, oh, this is just the platform we use and how it works, it's like, no, question all of that stuff because – there's so much wrapped up in those little, you know, those little statements like, you know, grind it out. Just, you know, this is the way it is that we need to kind of bust through in my mind. And I think, yeah. you know, it's, it's leading to a lot of this simultaneous burnout, which to me is hard to reconcile. I'm burnt out, but I'm barely working. It's like, well, what is that about? You know what I mean? That, cause it, it, yeah, it, well, that's the other, the other thing. I think the level of stress that people have um, and level of, yeah, level of stress people have is at a, I think, all-time high, and some of it has nothing to do with work, right? I mean, that's also the other dynamic that is going on there. And I think that's why this sort of push to more balance and really prioritizing self a lot more is is one that is going to get a lot of traction, I think, for good reason, frankly. There is, though, an interesting dynamic, I think, especially with young people, that I think people are coming into the workforce with a very different mindset. The whole idea of paying your dues, yes, it is just do what I'm telling you to do. There's part of it. But I think there was, a, to me, it's maybe more, I would define it more as this idea that you really have to work, like earn your way to whatever position, whatever, um, whatever, yeah, whatever position, whatever a promotion, you have to really earn it, right? And I think people don't necessarily come with that, with that same little perspective anymore, which is, I see both dynamics, people that are, come in, start to work for a company, and immediately after doing very little work, immediately feel that they should have much bigger role. They should be basically running the place. There's that dynamic. And if they don't get it, they're going to they're gonna go off and do it somewhere else. I mean, tenure is zero now. There's that, right? There, the idea of being moving around from one company to the other, like that's, it's, it used to be a time where people were like, oh, you've worked in three places in 10 years? Well, I don't know. So do you like, do you have commitment issues with 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 jobs? <laughs> That's a non. And now issue. it's now it's an expectation. But but then the, the third one in my mind it's a really interesting one. Have you seen this actually on TikTok? There's a couple of trends that I've seen. One is creators that I go on there and they're constantly making videos of where they. There's one specific woman I don't know what her name is, but I've seen her videos lots of different times. She's pretty young, 
and she's always showing these videos of how she's checking her boss. Like her boss is like, it's always like this like one-sided conversation that you're seeing, right? Where the boss is asking her to work on something. She's like, great, I'll get to this tomorrow. Yeah, but I really need you to do work on it. Like, yeah, but I'm supposed to be off in five minutes. Yeah, but really important. Well, if you wanna, want me to work on today, you gotta prioritize giving me this assignment. Or anything. It like, it's this constant checking the other person and putting a very firm line of what the boundaries are between work life and personal mm. life, mm-hmm. right? And it's very much in this kind of work from home kind of setting. I think that as a mindset, some people do have that. The other one that I've seen- Do you think that's a good mindset? I think there's actually benefit to it because the, the downside of it, uh, because I think about how I grew up and I think about like the mindset that I had, I don't think it was the healthiest thing in the world, frankly. Mm. I mean, prioritizing to your point, it wasn't just the fact that there was more accessibility to people like, you know, via email, via phone, or like late, in the, late at night in the weekends, but it became the expectation. Sure. I mean, you and I worked at a, at a time where, you know, I remember you told me this, it was like, if you didn't respond to an email within a certain number of minutes, it was like, what's the problem? Like, yeah. that was the protocol. Like, yeah. how crazy is that? Think about that perspective, right? So the downside of the, if you take that to the extreme, I don't know if that's a very healthy thing to either. It's not. I think when you're in this dynamic that you're constantly trying to figure out a way to check the person that you work for, it's just not a healthy kind of work relationship and it probably doesn't work for either party. If you're at that, if you're in that kind of level of, I can see that happening once or twice, maybe to kind of set boundaries. But if if that's the way of oper the mode of operation, I just think is not a very healthy thing. The other one that I've seen, by the way, is and it also matters what what the intent is too, though. I mean, it's like if somebody's checking their boss because they're trying to, you know, constantly, um, you know, chip away at that person's whatever authority. They're, if they're doing it as a right, way of right. rebellion, it's all about intent. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah. You know? So there's a lot of there's a lot of those videos that to me is. is just feel like a very unhealthy relationship between a boss and employee, right? Um, the other one that I've seen is a, is a trend called act your wage. Not act your age, act your wage. And this mm. idea that people are like, well, if you want me to do more, you got to pay me more. Mm. And people are are also creating a lot of content. And once again, TikTok tends to be the, the primary you know platform of distribution where they're putting all this content where people are showing these examples of how they're acting their wage same kind of thing, kind of checking their bosses for things that they're that they're being asked to work on will seem to go beyond the scope of the work that they are meant to be doing and what they're being paid for. Wow. That that's such an about face. It's literally the polar opposite of how you and I came up, right? So act your for wage. Sure. That one, yeah, that one that was really interesting. Ex- act your wage is the exact opposite of dress or work for the job you want, not the job yep. you have. Yeah. Right? It's like you're going to have to do a bit more than what's required in order to show and compete with people around you for the next step in that ladder. Now it's like, unless you recognize me prior to that, will I achieve that level? In a way, both of those can be misused, but Mm -hmm. it seems far more dangerous, the act your wage, than the other one. In other words, both of them can be bad, taken to an extreme. But the idea of I won't show you any additional value, consideration, anything, unless you recognize me in a kind of like, you know, prevenient way. Like you're going to, you're going to, you're going to recognize me before I've done. It's like getting an award before, you know, it's like the, the, the thousand yard rushing. We're going to give the thousand yard rushing award when you're on, on, on yard 124. It's like, it's like, it, it makes, get to a thousand. And then by the way, you're yeah, competing yeah, yeah, with yeah. a few people who are actually pretty, they may be better running backs than you. 
but it's that, like that is a really interesting yeah a, that's a very very interesting way to think about this um and i agree with you i am very much from the mindset i still am to this day which is you know when you talk because i've had people ask me like oh how do you how do you think about asking for promotions asking for salary raises is like and i've always been in the mindset do the work first mm. the last part of the conversation the last part of that act is the the recognition of that is the, the because I think people need to be able to see you in that role. We want to see you with that kind of of contribution. Now, to the point, there is a window, and I get that point. It's a window where you can't just you can't operate as the CEO and then and then be a, a salesperson or be a, you know the assistant, right? And then it comes a window where you're like, hey, if you're not going to recognize the work that I'm doing, then then maybe I should take a step back in responsibilities. But it it can also be the thing where you're not even willing to take on and add the kind of value that is needed in an organization and then just expect to be paid first before even approaching any of that kind of work. So much of this topic with quiet quitting goes back to the, the um, continuation or the longevity, I should say, of remote working. Just yeah. yesterday, I don't know if you saw it, GM got blown up because they, they sent, I guess, some memo saying, okay, now everybody's got to come back to the office in Q4, three days a week. And I guess that sort of contradicted an earlier thing that the CEO had said, and she had to come out on feeds and clarify everything because it was like a revolt, right? But I just I, I just think that a lot of this, the idea of quiet quitting, all of this will be forgotten it, the moment that a lot of these, you know, these, uh, these sort of remote working restrictions come to an end insofar as they do. I think then it'll just be replaced by something else, right? Which is, you know, at, at work health and performance at work and a thousand other things. But the idea of quiet quitting to me is like wedded to the idea of remote working. Well, it's just magnified by it, right? I mean, that's always been the case. Those people that have figured out a great way how to coast to do just enough. Sure. You have just enough presence, just do enough, enough work to get by and continue to get promoted or continue to, you know, stay employed. Um, it just made became that much easier, frankly, when you're not in uh, in person dynamic. Now, the the other thing, the downside of all this that has happened is the rise of all these um, software that have come out to monitor employees, to literally monitor keystrokes, right? Like how much activity people are having, and it's crazy. A it's lot crazy of it done without that. their knowledge, right? It's like it I is, mean, yeah. yeah. There's been uh, I'm blanking now. May have been an episode of Freakonomics. I forgot where I listened to this. But I remember listening to a couple of podcasts where they got into the, the sort of the rise of this of this you know work monitoring software. Mm. And to your point, a lot of it had to do with actually seeing what they were uh, monitoring without them actually knowing. And there was one in particular where they uh, they were not only monitoring but then literally stopping the the sort of the count. Like think of it like like a ticker with. Uh, like adding dollars for every minute that they work. Oh my god! That where their, their compensation was directly tied with productivity, and these are for for jobs that are, you know, that require having to talk to other employees, having to talk to customers. That is harder to measure. It's not just how many you know keys am I am I typing the entire time. So they got to such an extreme that they were literally doing that. They were looking at their at their at their behavior on their on their computer, and if if it's paused for too long, they will stop the counter. And this person was getting a check, like, "What happened? Why right, am I getting paid?" What's going on? Yeah, yeah, you know, forty percent of what I normally get paid. Like, well, that's the amount that we measured, and therefore, and you think of all the all the bad behavior that will come from that. Okay, so I need to basically be sitting here hitting the space bar 
every so often just to make sure that the counter's still going. Like <laughs> you immediately start finding there's that matter of fact there is it reminds me videos. it reminds me of click farms back in the day when they would pay they, like somebody in Macedonia to click on banners a thousand times so you could drive well, up the CPM. That's right. And then what happens is you end up getting these uh there's actually products out there, Charlie, you would love this one. That you could put on your mouse that will just move it randomly every so often. Amazing, because there's always because a hack. There's always, there's always a, way a hack, to... and people that figure out that have the hacks for it, right? And it's it's just such a. But all they're doing is breeding, like you know, there's something bad, and then you breed deception on top of it. It's like it's right. it's awful. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah. I think I think all of those things ultimately, you know, just work as a way to reduce the human person to a cog. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. It's like you're only yeah, valuable sure. based on what you're doing, or in other cases by the things you are doing that are not related to your work, right? So every time you go on, you you know, like I have a habit of when I'm eating lunch, sometimes I eat lunch in front of my desk and I'll open up YouTube and watch like a hand of poker or do whatever. But like that would be non, you know, non-productivity time because I looked at a browser that wasn't some internal tool or whatever. I think all those things are dismal and they lead to this sense of urgency or this idea of, of commoditizing human beings, right? It's like, you're only as valuable as the number of keystrokes that you do. And it breeds all kinds of bad behavior and a lot of exploitation in other parts of the world because there's plenty of people in India. I mentioned Macedonia and other places that will gladly take on that work and grind themselves down to a powder in order to just do this, right? Because they think that's the way the world works, right? This is paying your dues, Jesus. So it's like, you know, it's also really bad outside of the country for poor um, you know, communities and, and people is, who don't yeah. have those kind of means, right? It's one thing if you're nearshoring, like you and I nearshore in Mexico as an example, because the dollar goes farther. So there's economies of scale. It's not like you're, you're violating somebody because you're paying them less. It's less to you, but to them, it's a, it's a fair wage. There's a difference between that and saying, let me seek out these places that I know I can exploit because of their poverty, because of whatever. And I think it leads to a lot of that. Yeah, but, but even, even with the near shore, Charlie, I mean, the reality is it creates a dynamic where you are, I mean, I'm actively, I'll be the first in a minute, I'm actively doing that right now. I'm taking jobs that could be employing U.S. people and moving some of those to Mexico. Yeah. Right. And that's a Period. whole other philosophical ball of wax. But it's true, right? I mean, it's 100% true for two reasons. One, the economics of it, significantly better, right? For sure. And the second one, which is, a, actually, the first one was a, really the driver. But the second one that I'm finding is that also from a work culture thing, this whole it's idea a different of culture. Quiet, it's just a very different thing. People don't. I'm not saying that no one has. I'm sure there's people that have that, right? Where they're just like barely getting by. You have to work. But in general, what, I'm, what I've seen is like is the opposite. People are so like hungry to want to deliver value, to earn, to basically make sure that there isn't a, any doubt that this is the right kind of choice to, to have these folks work on these opportunities. That it's and it's it's the sad thing about it is that it only yeah. So I was saying the the bad thing about it is it only perpetuates the idea of that of wanting to move more of these kind of jobs offshore. Then because then the question becomes okay, what is strategic that needs to be left here? But it means that for a lot of these roles, for a lot of roles that frankly will go to younger people starting their careers, yeah, they're going to end up being moved somewhere else because of cost and yeah, cost and then work culture um, uh, considerations. I think the work culture, though, is a big driver. So I, I view the nearshoring as, you know, the, 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 the economics of it for me are, are more of a happy accident. And I'm not saying that it wouldn't make a difference. It does make a difference. But the fact that you're dealing with a completely different work culture where people are enthusiastic about work, not like what's the minimum I can do, 
Then on top of that, the things that you've talked about, and not, not the least of which is when we near shore, you know, it's mostly in Mexico. And that culture also supports a lot of the work that we do on, on all sides of our, of our business, right? So, so I think it's a little bit different in our case, but, but those, those things are important, you know, to, uh, to consider. Uh, I'm going to tell you one funny story, and then let's transition to Courage or Cringe, but one funny story about, a, about coasting, okay? <laughs> because you brought that up earlier, and we have examples of people who have coasted you know that I'm sure we can reference. And look, to be perfectly frank. There's times when we've taken our foot off the off the gas pedal too, maybe as we we're transitioning to a different role or whatever it may be. But the best example of coasting I ever saw was early in my career at AOL. AOL used to have layoffs literally every quarter. They would hire a thousand people and fire three hundred of them after the after the quarter. It was, I mean, it was ridiculous. I had like nine bosses in a year. Mm-hmm. It was constant reorg and constant laying off. There was this woman, I'm not going to mention her name, obviously, but she was actually pretty well known. And on some levels, you know, she, she was a salesperson, had some success in, you know, in some quarters, but, you know, she was a little bit of a middling sort of player. But um, there was a layoff that was coming down and everybody knew the layoffs would come down because it would happen at the end of the quarter, kind of like the second week of the new quarter, there was a layoff. It was like, it, it was automatic. This woman basically started flying to go visit like clients or go to conferences or whatever and she took literally the byproduct of that was avoiding a lot of these calls. They couldn't track her down to fire her. So she was That's in great. the air. I'm not kidding. Genius. You. Genius. Genius. For, for a month, for a month, she was traveling so that she was, you know, she's like, I'm out of town. I can't make that meeting or whatever. Because they would do these things in person, right? They bring people into a room. And then eventually they, they figured it out, right? And a month later, they did it over the phone with her. But she literally stayed up in the air flying for a month rather than getting laid off because she knew it was coming. That is great. Wasn't it, um, uh, I'm blanking on his name, the tight end of uh, Tampa Bay. Um, that was with the Patriots before. I'm blanking his name. Gronkowski? Uh, yeah, Gronkowski, right? He, he said that, uh, I don't know if you heard him tell the story that when he was going to, I guess it turned out that the Patriots were going to try to trade him and the deal was already done. And he basically told him, well, I'm retired. So I don't know how you're going to do that. He like told them on the phone that he retired. So they're like, oh, so I guess we can't trade you. And then just waited a little bit and unretired until that trade kind of fell apart. And, he, move, he, yeah. and that's the way that he kept himself in the team. And he tells a story. And if you ever watch this video on YouTube, Charlie, it's hilarious hearing this guy describe Seems so simple. how he outsmarted the system because he's he kind of known to be a little bit of an, of an airhead, right? right. And, but you, you hear him describe this and it's just like, I was rolling hearing the story. I was like, dude, you're just, sometimes the, that simple solution is the best one, you know? It's just genius. Genius move. All right, well, no quiet quitting in our futures, but definitely something to keep, um, keep tabs on. You ready to move to Courage or Cringe? Yep. All right. So um, I actually have two, but I know that I've been kind of cringe lately. So I'm going to flip the script and I'm going to go with courage. And if we if we have a second, I might get to the second one. But my courage actually ties directly to a story that I brought up a couple weeks ago. You remember when I mentioned the chess master? Yeah. um, Mm -hmm. uh, That was last week. Magnus Carlsen. Right. Yeah. So Magnus Carlsen uh, had basically uh, done an over-the-board, which is basically means live, an over-the-board uh, chess tournament called the Cinquefield Cup. It's a very famous one. It's like the World Cup, I guess, or something along those lines, maybe the Champions League, but it's a big deal, right? And he faced off with this 19-year-old, also grandmaster, 
and the, and this guy's name is Hans Niemann. And Hans Niemann beat him. And even though Hans Niemann had the disadvantage of playing with the black uh, pieces, because that is in chess a disadvantage. Nevertheless, he won. And Magnuson, or Magnus uh, Carlsen sent out this cryptic tweet that basically suggested all but explicitly, it was an implicit thing, but he basically suggested this guy's cheating, right? Mm -hmm. And the guy's got some history of cheating. Then a couple weeks after that live event over the board, they met again in an online tournament. And in the second move, Carlson gets up off his computer and literally walks away. Now, initially, I'd given him a cringe because all of this, you're damaging somebody's you know, reputation and you're not talking about it. So it looks weird and you're implying all these different things. And it just, it, it, it appeared cringy. Even if he thought he was doing a principled thing, it just wasn't the way to do it. Now, this week, Jesus, uh -huh. Magnus Carlson, literally yesterday, came out to the world with exactly what he was inferring, but in a direct and explicit way, and accused this guy Hans Niemann of cheating and saying he will never play with him again, and that tournaments need to increase their level of security and you know preparation to avoid this kind of thing in the future. So I give him a courage this week for at least having the courage of his own convictions and going so forward with making why. this claim, yeah, yeah. yeah, that everybody assumed was happening, but he had never actually given the voice to. So he's gone out now on record, wrote a big letter, put it out on Twitter and said, this is why I've stepped away. This guy is cheating. I will never personally play with him again. And I think you've got to do a better job of screening these folks. Now, we don't Does know if it's true. Does he have like a reason or like the type of cheating that he's doing or just saying that he's cheating? His his letter is interesting because once you get to that level of, of you know, prodigy in terms of chess, I it's almost like I, I would assume it's similar to like, say, a grand musical master hearing a composition for the first time. And what he claims is that when he seen that Neiman, the, the guy he's complaining against, his game has evolved over a short period of time to such a degree that it's not possible he got there on his own. That's as near to a claim as I, as I got from his letter. Meaning it's like Mozart listening to, you know, you and I put together, uh, you know, a few notes. And then next day we turn up with like a, a full symphony and we're like, wait a minute, this cannot be the same person. There's no way. So when you get to the level of play, I guess, that these guys are at, they can tell at that level. And that's the claim that he's making. There's also been ideas of how, if this guy's cheating, and he has been caught cheating before, and he's been banned from online platforms before for cheating, but there's people who have said, if he is cheating, how he's cheating, it's kind of gross, and I don't want to get into it, but basically it's the idea of inserting, I'll let you know where, you can guess where, but inserting- I heard of this, yeah. Yeah, inserting some kind of device- <laughs> tied to, uh, you know, supercomputers that can analyze 10 billion different moves right. that somebody makes and then give you the, 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 the sort of statistically most significant move against them. So this is what's been suggested, right? Um, yeah. Of course, this guy's denied everything all along and he continues to deny it. But, um, but anyway, courage for our friend Magnus. What was it? Wasn't when he got accused of cheating, wasn't he a little kid? Well, he is a little kid now. He's 19. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't I don't know how young he was, maybe 13, yeah, 15, yeah, I, I have that's no what idea. I, that's what but... I thought I heard. He was like around 14. Yeah. So anyway, that's mine. Well, What's you know yours? what? I don't, I don't have a good one this week, to be honest. And I, I was going to go to the well, something that's very obvious. But if you have a second you one, I'd rather hear your second one. Huh? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I said, you want to use my cringe? Yeah, I want to <laughs> hear your second one. All right. So my second one is on the White House move, the White House's move this week. 
to uh, urge conversations in quotes about the Atlanta Braves changing their name on the same day, Jesus, that Biden hosted the team at the White House to uh, congratulate them. Right. So on the same day that he's congratulating the Atlanta Braves and saying Atlanta Braves and my dad was a fan and all this other stuff. The White House comes out saying, yeah, we encourage a conversation for them to change their name. So I give that a cringe. I'm a cringe on the name change idea. But secondarily, the timing of how they how they did this. We're literally in one room. They're awarding this team. And in the other room, they're saying, yeah, they should they uh, they should change their name. So that's my other one for the day. But your cringe is because of just taking a moment of encouragement, encouragement while celebrating them at the same time. Is that the is that the cringe? Yes, that that's the cringe. And secondarily, the fact that um, the Braves, the, the idea of changing the Braves' name, right? I think that you can make a good case around the Redskins. I think um, the Braves, even the Cleveland Indians. You and I talked about this when that happened. I think some of those things do the exact opposite of what you claim to do, which is you erase entirely the uh, any na- uh, Native American or indigenous attribution, right? The Indians became the guardians. The Redskins became the commanders. Again, with the Redskins, even some in the uh, Native community say, hey, well, that was actually a pejorative term used against us. The Braves were like a real thing. It was a part of their kind of, you know, military system. Same thing with the Chiefs, by the way. There were Chiefs. Now, it's the word we use to call that position or that role. But it nevertheless is a real thing. It's not like we're making it up. There There is a chief of a tribe. And you can call them in your own language, whatever it sounds like. But that's what they are, I think right? The challenge so, with those, it's, it's not just in the case of the Braves. It's not just the the name Braves. It's like the the tomahawk chop. The tomahawk chop. Yeah, I think that one is uh, is is problematic. And it it I think that's a challenge with some of these names, how they turn into these like caricatures, caricatures. of those cultures, right? And and yeah. that's, I think that's the issue with it. It's not that. The name Braves, I think, is that offensive. Now, maybe I, I haven't had this conversation with any Native Americans to know how they feel about it, but let's say they don't feel as, as offended by the name itself. It is the caricatures of how fans react to those names that I can see where, you know, it's just like we can evolve beyond that. And it's really hard to evolve fan bases. I was at the Mexico-Peru game this weekend on Saturday. And as you know, Mexico has been... Uh, blasted for the Mexico fan base specifically, blasted for for doing the chant where they where they yell when the when the other uh, you know goalkeeper kicks the ball right, and and they've tried to suspend them, take points, they've done everything they can. And while it's gone down quite a bit, it still get, got yelled out at the game, like super yeah. loud. And it's just so hard to change fan bases how they think about these things. And I think in a case where as long as that name is still there. You're gonna have the tomahawk chop. It's just it's just part of what it is. Now, maybe to your point, maybe that having this kind of caricature of the culture shouldn't matter. People shouldn't care. But if you think you're gonna change that fan base from doing that while still having the names Braves, good luck to you. Like it's just not yeah, gonna happen. Not, not gonna happen. I agree. You'd have to go all or nothing. And I think you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. According to the commissioner of baseball, by the way. Um, the Native American community in Georgia, <clears throat> and I don't know what the tribes are, so apologies in, in advance, <clears throat> excuse me, but that community is, you know, by and large, perfectly fine. 
even those th- with the Braves and with the Tomahawk Chop, because he literally is on record quoted saying, we've got a great relationship with them and they're cool with it. Again, these things are so unscientific. And even right. if they were it's scientific, not like, oh, I have it's a like, black friend, therefore, and asked him, and therefore. That, but, but that's what I mean, right? So it's, so it's so unscientific. But even if it was scientific, Jesus, right. this is my point. Even yeah. if you got, you're never going to get 100% of everybody to agree on anything. So sure. what's the number? Is it 90% of the Native American community is cool with it? Like what, what, so it's just such a weird place to be. And it's like, to me, it's about, it's about intent. What are you doing? Do you think the fans in the stands in Atlanta are, you, you know, putting on a Braves jersey or even doing the tomahawk, tomahawk chop because they're hating on the Native American community or trying to ridicule them or bring them down? I, I don't think so. I don't think so, they care. They might, they might not, but you know, if anything, it's, it's if of, you ask them, out of sight, if you out of ask mind, them. Charlie, the people that go dressed up, like remember the, the Redskins, people show up with, with, with faces painted in red and dressed up as Native Americans that were not. You think they really were doing that to hurt Native Americans? I don't think so. I just don't think they care. Native Americans is something that they don't see. It's not, it's not part of, it, people think of it like it's, it's in history. I, I don't, this is where I think the the intent argument in my mind kind of falls apart a little bit because it's not that they have bad intent. They just don't care. It's a, it's like yeah. a thing from something else. It's like dressing up like a Viking, dressing up as something that happened from history, like a Greek warrior. It doesn't matter. It's not something that you're not doing to offend them. But in this case, it is part of this culture. It is people that, that live here. And by the way, I'm not even for the idea of changing the name necessarily. I just I just I'm not for the sure. idea of not changing sure. it either. I'm, yeah. I'm not as no, hung up you. with it having to be the name. Teams change name all the time. They change city. They literally move from cities one to the other. We have the Houston Oilers that were now the Tennessee, you know, Titans that became. See what I'm saying? Like that happens all the time. Right, but how many of those are changing the name because the White House said you should take a look at this? I mean, that's a little weird. Yeah, so, it's not, but it's not just the White House, right? Like that, that's that's something that yeah, you're you're right about. Okay, should have done that. Then maybe not. But it's, these are these teams are all changing the name because of the White House is trying to change the names. All right. Well, you don't get to complain because you're using mine. So I'm giving you I'm giving you a, a pass on not coming up with one for you. All right, all right my friend. Fine. We got we got to run. <laughs> what, what 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 else you got? Anything else? Nope. All right. Good conversation. Listen, folks. If you're listening to this, it's really important that you subscribe, that you share this episode with a friend, that you help advance conversations about difficult conver- the difficult issues and topics that maybe don't get talked about that often because we need to create those spaces for conversation and for dialogue, even when the issues are difficult and especially when we don't agree. So we encourage you and everybody that you share this episode with to continue to live a life unsiloed. We'll see you again next time. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, 
and Judy Woodruff come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts.